Thank you for turning on this episode of the Bar Review Podcast. My name is Jake, and this is a show where I get drunk and I tell you about the law. Today I am drinking some Red Oak Hummingbird Lager. And the topic for today is the sexy class action lawsuit. You'll find this under the Law of Civil Procedure, specifically Rule 23. And so the rule says that under Rule 23A, you got to have some prerequisites to be certified as a class action lawsuit. you got to have impracticability, which means that the group must be so numerous or geographically dispersed that the normal joinder of parties, this is where plaintiffs come together to bring a lawsuit, would just be straight impractical. Then you have commonality, which means that that group, the class, has to have a common answer to their question. Essentially that the group resolution will determine the cause of every single class member. Then you have typicality, which means that the representative's claim must be the typical of other class members suffering the same kind of harm. Then you have fair and adequate representation, means that the representative picked out of the whole class who brings the lawsuit must fairly and adequately represent the class. But wait, there's a hidden requirement. This is not in your fucking book. It means that the class must be discernible. So it can't just be on half of all of the downtrodden, because what the fuck does that mean? But we're not done, Legal Eagles. We got 23B. These describe the types of class actions. You got B1, which said that separate trials would risk inconsistent judgments on the defendant or separate trials would impede the ability of other class members to protect their interests. And you got B2, says that the defendant has refused to act on grounds that would solve issues for the whole class. But here, remember, you only get injunctive relief, no money. But B3 is the most common. This is the one seeking damages. And you have to show that a common question predominates over individual questions and class action is superior than standard joinder of parties as a means to resolve the dispute. And to get certified as a class action, you need all of those 23A prerequisites and just one of the 23B requisites. So the exceptions but not really portion of this episode centers on subject matter jurisdiction. Remember a few episodes back, that's the power of the court to hear a certain type of dispute. And so, remember on that episode of diversity of citizenship jurisdiction? The rule that says federal courts need the plaintiff and defendant to be domiciled in different states? Well, how the fuck does that work when there's a thousand plaintiffs in a class action? Remember earlier, I said that the class gets a representative to sue on behalf of the class. And it's only the representative's citizenship that matters when determining citizenship jurisdiction. Another important thing is notice of a settlement because most class actions end up settling. And this is handled under 23E, and it requires that notice of proposed settlement be sent to all members who would be bound. Supplies to every type of class, the court holds a fairness hearing on the proposed settlement at which objections from members can be heard. The court must approve settlement only if it finds to be fair, reasonable, and adequate. And lastly, we got the forced arbitration clauses. And this is the time for the soapbox. Companies typically don't want to be a part of class action lawsuits because they give plaintiffs kind of leverage in a case. 
So they opt for forced arbitration clauses in a lot of contracts. And arbitration, strictly speaking, is an out-of-court, neutral, quote, third party that solves the dispute and actually binds the parties as if it were a legal proceeding. And because of a rise in corporate power in American law, and generally not giving a shit about the common man, there's been a rise to force arbitration clauses which have been held to be enforceable. Arbitration can be a good thing, don't get me wrong. It can be a cheaper option for people wanting to resolve disputes, but that comes at a price. Generally, the person drafting the clause picks the arbitrator, and the person who's doing the arbitrating will often side with the person who picks the arbitrator. It's just good business. So let's go through some examples. Say you're one of the hundreds of thousands of people who bought the game No Man's Sky. And you're all about games about space exploration, so you pre-order this motherfucker like a rube. And the advertisements and interviews going into the game show all these neat features like being able to play with your friends, really interesting gameplay, and a mysterious story. And they're very intentionally vague going into this thing. So when the game comes out, you load that bad boy up. Well, it turns out that you've been lied to. And a hundred thousand people were lied to. You can't play with your friends, the gameplay isn't interesting, and the story is just a sorry excuse to waste time. Well, it turns out the online presence for the game is starting to look like California during the summer. Shit's on fire. Saving the discussion of false advertising for a future episode. Can you and the other hundreds of thousands of idiots who bought this fucking thing bring a class action lawsuit for false advertising? Let's go through the Rule 23 bullshit. You got 23A. Impracticability. There's a group of injured people who bought this game is a lot, so you're probably good there. A commonality. The class members were all commonly deceived by this garbage company. So you're good there. Typicality. The representative chosen has to have a typical claim to the rest of the class. And I think you're good there because most everyone had the same issue. Then you have fair and adequate representation. The representative fairly and adequately represents the class by airing the grievance of the class. I think you're okay. And then the hidden requirement. You're good there because it's discernible by just all the people who bought this game. You can easily identify the class. But what about 23B? Well, 23B3 gives us our best answer. This is seeking damages like your money back. And so you just have to show under 23B3 that a common question predominates all over the individual questions and that the class action is superior to resolving the dispute other than standard joinder of parties. You and the other idiots who bought this mess could definitely be certified as a class per a class action lawsuit. Whether or not you have a claim to false advertising is a whole other matter. Number two, Donald Trump is facing litigation from 16 or more women alleging sexual misconducts from behalf of our mad king. The facts of each case are different, but all center around the same person. Would these women be able to bring a class action lawsuit against the worst president? Absolutely not. 23A shit, let's go through it. You got impracticability? Maybe? I mean, 16 people's a lot, but it's not exactly impractical. I mean, it's not where the issues are for this fucking thing. Commonality? Definitely not. The injury they occurred is similar for sure, but they're all different claims. The facts are all going to be different. Typicality? Again, the claims are all so different. No representative's claim will be typical to the group as a whole. Fair and adequate representation? Definitely not. Resolving the claims of one person wouldn't exactly resolve the claims of another, so no, no, no to class action. But what about permissive joinder of parties under FRCP 20? Nope, because the issue is that there is no common issue of fact and possibly of law between all of these potential plaintiffs in this action, so they gotta bring their own individual cases against this bastard. Last one, you sign up for internet service with Time Warner Cable, and you're supposed to be getting 200 megabits per month download. Well, for some reason, the only speed you're ever getting at all is 56 megabits per second per month. 
So you post online and it turns out tens of thousands of people are also not getting the speeds they're paying for. You all decide to take Time Warner to court in a class action lawsuit under 23B2 seeking injunctive relief that they have Time Warner give you the internet you paid for. But it turns out that the contract for Time Warner has a mandatory arbitration clause to resolve all customer disputes in an individual capacity and not as a member of a class action. Ouch. Does that kill your chances of a class action lawsuit? Guess what? It does. Shout out to AT&T Mobility versus Concepcion 2011 for this garbage holding. Yeah, 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 it's the freedom of contract and it's all a choice, whatever you want to say. But Robert Scalia, Thomas Alito, and fucking Kennedy of all people fucked the consumer on this one unarguably. Clearly the freedom to contract is important, don't get me wrong, and being able to put reasonable terms in a contract is good, sure, but mandatory arbitration is bullshit because it takes away choice. Who writes the contract? The big corporations. Who picks the arbitrator? The person who writes the contract. And who's the arbitrator likely to give the win to? The person who picks them and gives them business. It's fucking bullshit. And one final point on this. Fuck you, Time Warner. You suck. So what are the ways to study this? Remember that you have all four prereqs under 23A and just one of the things under 23B. And you kind of just got to memorize what they all are. So just remember ICTF, Inner City Thoroughfare, meaning impracticality, commonality, typicality, and fair and adequate representation. Inner City Thoroughfare. So thanks for joining me today on this episode of the Bar Review Podcast. I've been drinking some Red Oak Hummingbird Lager. I still like beer. Fuck you, Kavanaugh. And that shit was the law. <laughs>